Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile the podcast. This is episode 242 called Tess. Okay, guys. So today I am talking to Tess Anique Saray, who is a model and a fitness influencer. And she's going to tell us all about her family building journey, which started when at 25, she found out that IVF was her only shot to have a baby, according to her doctor. So she's going to talk about that. She's going to talk about her sobriety and her recovery, which is a big part of her life and her husband's life as well, and how that came into play with her family building journey. And she's going to tell us all the things. So it's a great, honest conversation. She's very funny. Spoiler alert, she is pregnant now, over 22 weeks pregnant. So we're going to find out how she got there. But I want to thank Tess. And without further ado, this is Tess's infertility story. How are you today? Hi, I'm so good. Thanks for having me, Allie. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm I've been very excited to talk to you. I feel like it's been on the calendar for a while. It has um, been. I know, I know. I'm so excited. So tell me, let's start at the very beginning. Did you always want to be a mom? Yes and no. I feel okay. like when I was younger, um, the idea seemed like so far-fetched, right? Like I always kind of knew I wanted to have a family, but how was that gonna look? Um, that part I didn't know. And then when I met my now husband, he actually has two daughters from his first marriage. Um, so that was kind of my step into like, oh, this is what it's really like. And then, then a hundred percent, then it was like, yes, this is something I really, really want. So by having that type of blended family, I was really, you know, open and kind of brought into what it's like to be a parent and co-parent, um, very quickly. And so that was something to me that I think just made me want to be a mom even more. Yeah. How did you and your husband meet? So we share this story quite often. We're both very open about it, but we're actually both sober. So we met in treatment, I think like seven years ago, which is what they say, like never, you know, date someone in your first year of sobriety and all this right. stuff. But it's something that was just going to happen. Um, we, you know, we met in that. And then six months later, we reconnected um, through a crazy series of events. So it was just one of those things that when God's doing it, nothing can stop it. I love that. And I appreciate how open you've been about addiction and recovery and everything that you've been through. You know, thank you for all of that. I think like with sharing your infertility stuff, you know, that's, it's just so powerful to share your stories and so relatable too, because there's so many people out there that are going through it and don't have anybody to relate to or talk to. So a hundred percent. Yeah. Has it always been, have you always been kind of an open book about stuff like that? Yes and no. I feel like with social media, like kind of like the rise of it, people have started to share their stories more like authentically. And it's also people, it's the thing that people relate to the most. So it's like, they want to hear that. They don't want to see like the highlight reel of everything. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's like, it's what makes us human. And so it was very easy for me to kind of just like, cause it's my life, right? This is like what we do. Like we're sober, we don't drink. Like this is just 
it's just sharing my life. And that's a big portion of that because if I don't have that, I don't have anything else. So Mm -hmm. for me, it totally goes hand in hand. I think the, like the infertility community is so strong. Like another community that's just as strong like that is like the recovery community of people Mm -hmm. that are like, will always have your back no matter what. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's been a really beautiful thing to have two really, really solid um, groups of support behind you. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about growing up for you. Um, what did you know about fertility and like having babies? You know, we talk about this Absolutely a lot. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I know. We, we talk about this so much on the show and I'm like, I didn't know shit. I didn't know anything. It was always like, don't nothing. get pregnant, right? Don't yes. get pregnant. And I, I have this like crazy theory. This is just like a stupid little theory, but I was in the first kind of like wave, what felt like of women like when, or girls when you're like 15 years old and you know, your skin might not be great. They're like, oh, just put her on birth control mm-hmm. or, you know, like that kind of wave, like the guinea pig wave of we're like, why are we doing this? Are we sure? Mm-hmm. And so I remember doing that at 15 because like my, I hated my skin and I was like, what? And they're like, oh, it's just the hormones. We'll just put you on the birth control. It'll stabilize everything. Mm-hmm. Like, looking back on it, I'm like, that's so interesting. But it I also so thought it was crazy because I knew nothing about like my body, how it works, like who I was, like any of that. I didn't know that until I started this whole fertility journey, which was like, you know, a decade later. Crazy. Right. So I, I read that you guys started, was it 2020 that you kind of started going down like the family building journey or like when you first went to a fertility clinic? Tell me what was so, happening with you guys. Yeah, it was, we started when I was 25. Um, which is pre-COVID because I know COVID just kind of throws a wrench in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, for like we had been trying for a year and nothing was happening. And I'm like, I think I want to get my levels checked or something because my husband obviously had children. So we're like, this works. Um, mm-hmm. And we're like, why? I feel like something should have happened by now because I'm 25. I was in on birth control. I'm like, something feels like off. So I literally Google like fertility center near me. Mm-hmm. And just go to the closest place. And I'm like, let's do some, like, I thought it was just going to be a simple test, right? I didn't know it was like a whole three months, like of your life, all these labs and, right. you know, you and your partner and like everything, right. you know, everything under the sun. And so we started that process and then COVID rolls around. And so it was a kind of like a weird part of time where you couldn't really do anything, but you kind of mm-hmm. got the information from those tests. So you're just kind of like sitting in a standstill. So that was really interesting. Um, yeah. So what was all that? What was happening that brought you to the clinic? You were just, you know, trying to get pregnant and nothing was happening or did, had you had? Yes. Any okay. No, I had never had, I'd never been pregnant in my life before. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And so I had been off of birth control at that time for like a year, a year and a half. And so I'm like, I feel like it's easy, like supposed to be easier than this. You know what I mean? I was like a 25, totally. my husband has kids. I'm like, this should be like one plus one equals two. And it just wasn't exactly. that way. Um, right. And so I'm like, I feel like I'm missing something or like, I don't know of something. I'm like, what if I can't even have kids? Like, you know, you don't know these things until you're put into that position. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it was so interesting when we were doing the testing because they said like my AMH was someone who was like 37 and I was 25. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just so Did you know what that. AMH was? No, I had absolutely no idea. What I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I had same. no clue. I didn't even know these like numbers correlated and there were there could actually be a difference between like your biological age and you know your birth age like that didn't make sense to me how it could be like how could I biologically be different than how old I am and so that was just a whole new learning curve I always say like the fertility world is like learning a new language because mm-hmm. unless you've been through it you don't know it like unless you learn Russian you don't know Russian exactly. you know what I mean <laughs> that's what it is like unless you do it you just don't know because there's like a whole new vocabulary there's a whole new 
series of events and testing. And even for my husband who had two kids with like, he was, I think, 25 and 30-ish when he had them. Now it's like, it was a whole different experience because he didn't know those, that world either. Right. You know? And it's crazy. It's so wild. You're you're so exactly right with all the acronyms and all the tests. I mean, I still have, I do this all day, every day, and I still have trouble remembering like, what's an ERA exactly? And what is a hysteroscopy like involved? Like all that crazy. stuff. It's like, it's hard to keep it all straight. Tell me what, so you got the AMH diagnosis and then what did they tell you to do? Or like, what did you guys think? Or was it, since it was COVID, did you have to like pause? Well, they said basically from our doc, like our doctor said, our only shot really was IVF. Like both of our levels weren't optimal. optimal. My husband had played um, professional sports for like 17 years. So he's had like 20 surgeries. Like he's like Iron Man. Everything mm-hmm. is broken, but he's still, you know, like solid steel. Um, and <laughs> he's so been his reconstructed. Body, he's been reconstructed. <laughs> I love um, that. And so his body is not the same when he had kids when he was 25 before his injuries. And so we were just at a very different place. And they said like IVF is really your only option, or it's going to be like one of those, you know, 0.001% chance miracles that something happens on its own. Okay. And so, so what, yeah. What did you think when you, when they told you that? I wasn't, so, I mean, I was a little surprised because I was 25 and I was so young and I was like, really? I thought you did that. Like, right. My whole perception of it was that this is, I guess you did that when you're like 40 and you know, you're trying, it's like your last resort kind of totally. thing. But because people had been sharing their stories so openly, I knew a lot of women that were doing IVF and a lot of young women too, like 30 in their 20s or for whatever reason it may be. And so I think just having a lot of those conversations with my friends that I had known a lot of people were having those types of experiences as well. So I wasn't alone in that. So it wasn't something I was ever fearful of. I was just like, oh, this is interesting. Because I never would have, you know, when you look back, you're like, oh, I definitely didn't think that was going to happen. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think so not something I could have predicted. Never. I mean, I think that who thinks that they're, unless you have some sort of pre, you know, existing condition or something and you've been right. told, you know, like who thinks that they're going to have to go through any sort of, re, you know, reproductive or assisted reproductive technology or IVF or any of that stuff. I mean, totally. I never in a million years would have thought that I would have had to do that. Until um, you're in it and you're like, all until right, you're in it. The only way, the only thing you can do is like jump in the deep end of the pool with no floaties on, right? You're just like, this is, this is what we're doing. So let's do it. Totally. So what was going on with you guys, like as a couple, like was, you know, it's hard when, when you're trying to have a baby and it's not working. Like I've been really open about my marriage and how my husband and I were just like in a really dark place at so many different junctures. Um, How were you guys doing? Well, I think it's so interesting because we have like the foundation of recovery and sobriety. Mm -hmm mental health and like having honest conversations and having difficult conversations has always been from the get-go something we've done day Mm -hmm. one there's never been like a sweeping under the rug situation interesting Um, okay so I think that has really benefited us and being able to have like difficult and hard conversations Mm -hmm. um, in a respectful manner we always joke we have like one good fight a year you know what I mean like one really good fight where it's like you get it all out and then it's like you know we know how to manage the rest of the time Um, I love that. Yeah. So it's definitely, it's not perfect, but we definitely learned a lot. And my husband is so patient and so understanding that it was really, I was really helped. It was great to have him to navigate it with because I felt like he was my support system through that. But then Mm. there was also a time like throughout our journey when things got a lot more difficult and a lot harder, where it's also like, you can only pick yourself up. It's like, you have to do the work yourself to get through it. Like no one can do it for you. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So we've experienced all portions of that. But I definitely think being in having that foundation of recovery or sobriety has really helped us because Mm -hmm. we know how to communicate. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what happened next? When did you actually start treatment and retrievals and all that stuff? So I think the first, I think we literally got our results, I kid you not, like a week before the world shut down, phase one of COVID. This is like Tiger King era of COVID, right? When like no one was leaving their house. Oh my God, the Tiger King. I have not, oh my God, I have not thought about that. Right? It's like a lost memory. That was such a like, core memory for everybody going through COVID. It's honestly got to be like one of the most streamed shows of all time because Uh, everyone was just at home and like it came out and we're like, I guess we're doing this now. Yeah, totally. So basically all you could do is, you know, we were told like, you should start taking these supplements. You should start kind of doing this. We don't know what the world was happening. Um, And we were in a state where like everything was shut down. Like you couldn't do these type of elective procedures. So that's all we really could do. And so I think for about, we just gave ourselves like the year because there was obviously, I don't want to say like bigger things happening than IVF, but like the the whole world was shut down. No one knew what was happening. My husband's from Canada. You can't cross the border, right? Like all this whole plethora of stuff. And so we had his kids and then they were living with us sometime because everyone's school was online. Um, And so it was just such an interesting time because you couldn't really do anything and you just had to be okay with surrendering of like not being able to do something which for me as like a German type A Virgo, like that act of surrender is just like a constant thing. Because all I want to do is do everything all at once, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it was definitely something I just had to like, okay, like we literally can't do anything in the situation except, you know, take the supplements, do the protocol and just wait this out for however long it's going to be. So for us, it ended up being about, I think a year. Mm -hmm. I did my first, the world shut down in March and then I did my first retrieval in January, the following year. So I've done three retrievals and okay. each one. Now I feel like I say like I do them for fun, right? I'm like, I'm just going to do another one. It's just like um, a hobby. It's just, a, you know, a little two week adventure. Right. Um, how, how did the first one go? Can we break it down like time by time? First one was rough. I had no idea what to expect. I had planned a vacation because it was like for Valentine's Day, it was like end of January, early February. So we'd planned a vacation to Cabo two days after my retrieval. Like, this is how little I knew. Okay. We did not go to Cabo, obviously, because after retrievals, you do not want to do anything. You want to sit in your bed with your heating pad and you don't, you can't even go in the water. So like, what's the point of, you know, going on a beach vacation? Right. Um, Exactly. So I was just so naive to like that portion of it. And Mm -hmm. I think at least for me, retrievals were a game of like hidden missing and trying to find the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. So like the first time I experienced like the OHSS, like the hyper, that was in itself physically awful. Oh was, yeah. Think, so that can be really painful. Part. So painful. I, if it wasn't for COVID, I would have like gone to the ER, but I actually thought that was like the less, the worst of two evils mm-hmm. than staying mm-hmm. at home because of like everything that was happening. But I remember waking up crying at three o'clock in the morning being like, I think I'm going to like either explode or die or like oh my God. die by explosion. Because it was, you know what I mean? I was like, this, like my stomach was so hard. I felt like a ninja turtle. Like I just had, it was so painful. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I just knew, I was like, this seems off. And then I kind of talked to my other friends who were like similar to my size and stature. Not that, you know, you should compare everything. But I realized like my meds were so much higher dosage than a lot of my other friends who were like Mm -hmm. similar in height and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, maybe I had... Like too, I was like overstimulated in that regard. And it turns out I was for my height and size. 
This episode is brought to you by Vegamore. I'm always trying to do right by my body. So when it comes to my hair and scalp health, finding a product that actually works and is made with clean ingredients always seems like a trade-off. But with Vegamore, I get products that are made with clean ingredients and give me visibly healthy hair and scalp. With Vegamore, I am able to have noticeably thicker, fuller, shinier, longer hair, all without the harsh ingredients. Every cute pink bottle of Vegamore products are 100% cruelty-free and are never formulated with potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones. Okay, so I got my box of Vegamore products and I've been using them all for the past month. The shampoo, the conditioner, the grow hair serum, the hair foam, the eyelash serum, the eyebrow serum. It's been about a month, like I said, and my hair really does feel stronger and thicker. Everything looks better. And the shampoo in particular, I have to say, smells really good. The key is consistency in your routine for your most beautiful, healthy-looking hair. I use Vegamore Grow Hair Serum daily, and my hair and scalp are feeling better than ever. Here's another cool thing. Vegamore has these great value kits, like the Grow Essentials Kit, where you get to try more than one amazing product at a time at great savings. So when you sign up for a monthly subscription, you save more, and you never run low on the products that you need. And fun fact, guys, Vegamore sells one bottle of the Grow Hair Serum every 15 seconds on their website. That's how good this stuff is. So here is the deal, my beautiful listeners. For a limited time, you can get 20% off your first order by going to vegamore.com slash infertileaf and using code infertileaf at checkout. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R dot com slash infertileaf, code infertileaf to save 20% on your first order. V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R dot com slash infertile AF, code infertile AF. Thanks, Vegamore. And so we had gotten two embryos. We did the PGT testing. So we got mm-hmm. three. We got two, two back. And we knew that we would probably do another one just because they say, you know, for like every one kid you have, you want at least, you know, three just in case. Right. So then it kind of became like being a squirrel and like harvesting acorns for winter. You know, you just want to get. I love all your analogies. They're crazy today. (laughs) Like they're just all over the place. But that's what it felt like. You're like, okay, I have these two. Now I need a few more. Because what I didn't understand is like, oh, you really don't know what's going to happen. And the waves, you know, I think. For me, I was like, oh, I'm 25 or maybe this time, like 26, 27. Doing IVF is like going to be the hard part. Like the transfer and the pregnancy mm-hmm. will be the easy part, right? I was like, just getting the embryos is the most difficult part. At least that's actually what my doctor told me. So I thought like this was kind of like going to have the hardest behind us. And then there was also a lot of fun, like life things that we had happening. Like we actually had did our, done our first retrieval before we got engaged And then we ended up getting married, of course. So everything was kind of spaced out. So it wasn't so like rushed for time because we've done this Mm -hmm. process over four or five years. So also a lot of life happened in between. Like we built our house, we moved into our house, giant pandemic. And then we got engaged and married. And these were all things we knew were happening, but I wasn't like, okay, it's like, we need to know. Right. Time is ticking. We need this to happen. So I think having like fun life events in between helped keep our mind off of that's so funny. The I was just going to say like, so, so many people, including myself, like sometimes get the blinders on, right? Like you want this so badly and then your life starts to kind of revolve around it and you're 
can't go to this event or you can't go to that baby shower because you don't want to, or you have to not go to that wedding or, you know, whatever. But it sounds like you guys had a good balance of like still living your lives, but also doing this too. Totally. And I think that helped a lot by having like the breathers in between. Cause it's, I think it's so hard when you do it back to back to back mm-hmm. and it's nice to like for every summer we spend our summers up in Idaho. So it's like, we knew we, we wouldn't be doing IVF there because mm-hmm. we live on a lake and it's, you know, there's mm-hmm. no IVF clinic, probably 300 miles from the town that we live in. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a literal break and it's nice to have that mental break and physical break on your body too, because it is a lot. And so we just would kind of take summers to like have fun and regroup. And then in the fall, kind of, you know, talk about things again. So we ended up doing one more retrieval after our wedding in May. And I felt more, much more confident. Like the first time my husband had to do all my shots for me, right? I was like setting alarms every night at 7 PM. Cause I thought that if you did about seven at one, they wouldn't work. Right. Like just like crazy. And then the second one was a little bit more relaxed. And I was like, okay, I can try to do some of these. And I felt like much more confident because you knew like the only schedule you need to have is like, don't have a schedule, like clear your right. schedule out. You totally. make no plans and just like, you know, I work from home thankfully. So I can just like figure out that mm-hmm. but, like, no, no trips, no vacations, no mm-hmm. like overexerting yourself and saying yes to a hundred million things. Mm-hmm. So in that retrospect, I was a lot more prepared because I knew what to expect. And then of course, summer happened. We didn't talk about it. We didn't think about it, which is always just such a nice little like regroup. And then when we came back in the fall was when we decided to do our first transfer. Okay. And so that to me was so interesting because we did our first transfer and it worked and we were pregnant. Mm-hmm. And you, do, you for at least my clinic, you do the three different ultrasounds, one at six weeks, one at seven and one at 10. Go to six weeks. Everything is perfect. Go to seven weeks. It's like the cutest little heartbeat. Everything was great. Mm-hmm. Go to 10 weeks and my doctor comes in. He's like, it's not good news. And then like the world went black and it was like a movie, right? You don't see anything oh. and, and that whole situation. And he, there was like no longer a heartbeat. And all mm-hmm. I remember him saying was like, there's no, um, like sometimes it just happens. It's just bad luck. I was 29 at this time. We mm-hmm. knew the embryo was healthy. So I'm like, this doesn't make sense. I'm like, something's mm-hmm. off. It's not just bad luck. I didn't just get like the short end of a stick. Yeah. No. I'm so sorry. I mean, you must've been devastated, right? That was the hardest time for me. That was also right before the holidays. It was, we found out like November 20th. Mm. So it was like right before Thanksgiving. So canceled all Thanksgiving plans, all Christmas. Cause I didn't want to do anything. Like I just, mm-hmm. you know, like had no desire to celebrate any type of things with family. Yeah, um, that at makes that a point lot of in sense. time, because we were 10 weeks, we had told both of our parents and we had told his daughters. So then it's like my poor husband, because I turned my phone off. My phone was literally on do not disturb for like three months. I just didn't want to deal with it. Aww. My husband had to like call everyone and tell them what had happened. And so we thought we were kind of safe at 10 weeks. And then we went to this appointment a few days later and it was not, we were not safe at all. Mm. And so then it was a very dark and depressing time. And that time for us was the most difficult because you know, sometimes like that saying, or it's like relationships aren't always like 50, 50. Sometimes they're like 90, 10, or this was like 99% my husband and like my 1% of like breathing and showing up. Oh, uh, you know what I mean? Yes, it's like, totally. I did not leave bed. I was so depressed. This is something we had both wanted. And I felt like now this was like all on my body because the embryo, oh. everything came back healthy. It wasn't, you know, 
Right. You can, I hate the term like products of conception and all that stuff, but mm-hmm. they tested everything and everything from like the embryo side was fine. So I'm like, then what happened? Like, what doesn't make sense? Mm-hmm. And then started, I gave myself about two and a half months of like a proper pity party, like through the year. <laughs> and That's then fair. Jail. I'm glad you That's did that. Fair. You know, you yeah. got to give yourself that. Like I cried so much. And then I remember my husband said to me sometime in January, he's like, I understand this affects you so much, but how, how it's affecting you right now is also affecting like our relationship and our life and, and me at this point, like he was not Mm. only dealing with like his own grief of it, but like how I was deteriorating from this grief. And so then like, there's a saying in any 12 step program or in AI specifically, when like life gets really hard, you can either do two things. You can like lean in or you can lean out, leaning out, Mm. meaning like see you later Mm -hmm. lean in mean like put your boots on and double down Mm -hmm. so that's kind of what I did my sponsor suggested to me I do like 90 meetings in 90 days wow now they're like on a lot of them are on zoom so it was very easy to do so Mm -hmm. I hadn't done that since the beginning of my sobriety like six years ago right Mm -hmm. and so like you're bawling crying in these meetings and I'm in women's rooms so it's like a bunch of women but I met a lot of women who have had their own infertility struggles who are also sober So that was kind of like the sweet spot for me of like two worlds colliding because it Mm -hmm. was people who really understood like who I was because these were like two massive parts of my life kind of combining into one. Yeah. Um, So that was really helpful for me. And by the end of like the 90 days, I started to feel like myself again Mm -hmm. because I had spent that time like processing everything Mm -hmm. kind of coming up with like a game plan of like, okay, now what? Like what's next? So that to me was like a super pivotal part of like how I mentally got through that. Yeah. It's like 90 hours of therapy, you know? Totally. It was. That's so important. And I love the notion and again, analogy of like leaning in and putting your boots on. Like that's so great that you were that you did that. You know, it's you gotta sometimes actively try to heal, right? Like it's yeah. You definitely although I'm also a fan of laying in bed and crying for three weeks. If you need that too, it's like all of it. (laughs) No, I had like because the holidays was so difficult for me. We didn't want to see our fam. Like I didn't want to see anyone. I didn't Mm want to host. I didn't want to do the whole Christmas tree thing. It was just like we ended up actually going to Mexico for that time because I just didn't want to celebrate Christmas, Mm -hmm. you know, because it just felt so off-putting to me. But it was really nice to be able to have the two months of a pity party because I needed it. I just needed to like feel all the feels and then I needed to put my boots on and be like, okay, we're going to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And so then started my like second opinion marathon because I called and researched every single person I could get my hands on that I thought was an expert in this field. I talked to doctors from New York to Dallas, to San Diego, to San Francisco, to LA, like everywhere. And I got so many second opinions and I'm like, this is what went down. What are your thoughts? Mm -hmm. And I just talked to people um, Mm -hmm. and I learned. What were you learning? Yeah. What what were some of the takeaways from that? One of these doctors told me that it's a great sign that we saw the heartbeat and that the embryo did its job. And then she goes, what's interesting is that between seven and 10 weeks, if something like this happens, like we typically like to do some type of like blood clotting or blood panel workup like that. Have you ever done that before? I'm like, well, unless it was in like the intro testing done, you know, three years ago, I wouldn't have done it additionally. And she goes, mm-hmm. I would consider looking into that because that might be where some of the answers are. And you don't know unless you test. 
And at this mm-hmm. point, it's like, what's another test, right? You've done so many tests that I'm like, 100%. Yeah. Take my labs, take my blood, whatever you need. I don't mind. Totally. And so I started looking into it. And I was like, oh, this is super interesting. And she was talking about like the Pregmune test. I don't know if you've heard of it, mm-hmm. but it's basically like the pregnancy and immunity combined into the word Pregmune. And it's how your body basically reacts to pregnancy mm-hmm. and all the goods that go with it. And I thought it was crazy because it was like three different labs over the course of three different days, like fasted, non-fasted from different lab companies. And I think I got like 85 vials that did 200 tests. And then my husband got them as well. And it was great Mm -hmm. that they come to your house. You're like laying down so you don't pass out, right? It's a lot of blood. Mm -hmm. And then six to eight weeks later, you get a full report workup back. Mm -hmm. And in that report workup, it tells you everything, which I love in plain English. Like the worst thing is getting a lab report back. And it's like... I don't understand this. You're like, I can't decipher this. It's like hieroglyphics. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I don't know what this means. This Mm -hmm. was like, each page was, this is what you were tested for. This is why it's important. These were your results. And this is what we suggest based on the findings, which Mm -hmm. I could appreciate. Like, I love things in plain English. Mm -hmm. And I found out that I have three active um, blood clotting disorders, but they're only active in pregnancy. So they don't affect me any other time, but when I'm pregnant which was so interesting because to me, this was like, I was missing a puzzle piece or like, you know, I was missing something that was like the key aha moment Mm -hmm. and this was it. So I was so excited that we finally had figured it out because I think the hardest part of IVF is when you're trying to figure out the answer, Mm -hmm. but you don't know the question. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You're like, we're trying to solve this problem, but we don't really know what the problem where it comes from, like what it is. Right. And now I'm like, okay, we know what the problem is. And now we know the solution. So that to yeah. me is when like, it was a game changer. Yeah. Because that to me, it was like, this is what we were waiting for. This one little piece of information that is like the most important piece. Right. Even so though that it to sucks, me was like, <sighs> even though it sucks to get a diagnosis, sometimes it's like, well, at least we know how to deal with that diagnosis rather than it's unexplained or there's no answers. Yeah. Yes. One of the doctors actually told me, she's like, it's not unexplained. It's unexplored. And that to me, like, will always in my head. Yes. Did you just recently true. post that or did I see? I feel like I just probably. Saw that. Okay. Yes. Because yes. I always think about it. You know, it's like, that means you just like, you just need to keep looking because there's an answer yeah. for everything. If you, it's not just like, oh, you got the short end of the stick. Like, mm-hmm. no, there's a reason. And so what was interesting is that my doctor here, the one that I did my retrievals, my transfer with, he actually didn't want me. I asked to do the like RPL testing and he said, no, I'll only do it after three losses. So I'm like, I'll have to do this. Like I have to go through this trauma three times for you to take me seriously when Mm -hmm. it's just lab work, you know, and it's just, it's not something like, you know, super invasive. Mm -hmm. I do lab work every two days for you. How is that possible? And so I did this test and I, when I went before my second transfer, I gave him the report and I go, I'm only going to stay at this clinic if we implement these results and this protocol into my next transfer. If you're not comfortable with it, I understand, but I'm going to go somewhere else Mm because I'm not going to go through this three times Mm -mm. for you to take me seriously. Yeah. Um, And what was the protocol? Like, what were they telling you to do differently? So every single day, baby aspirin in the morning and then Lovenox at night, which is a Mm -hmm. blood thinning injection. And then I'll take that six weeks postpartum, of course, Mm -hmm. stopping in labor for like that sweet spot. But a lot of doctors don't, want to do it or, you know, for whatever reason, because it's like a blood thinner and they're like, oh no, but if you have a blood clotting disorder, that's what you need is not only one, I have three. And so on my, you know, 
little beautiful sheet that Pregnune gave me of like, mm-hmm. this is what we suggest before your next transfer. And it's like, right. please take baby aspirin. And they, they see every single medication you've been on for like your previous retrievals, your previous transfers. I'd also just like to say I'm not affiliated with them. I'm just like such a huge fan because they gave me my answers. Yeah, so no. Like not like I'm getting paid to say any of these things. Like gotcha. it truly gave me the information that I needed to know. So what and did the so doctor say? He goes, if that's something that you want to do and you're comfortable with, um, and you don't mind taking the one injection a day, I'm like, if this is the answer, I'm pretty sure that if you told someone your best shot at having a baby is to have a shot every to take it. Oh my god, I would do like day. a shot every minute. <laughs> no problem. I'll do one every hour. I don't care. Totally, this is totally. what you're telling me is like the best case situation. Mm-hmm. I will do it gladly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with a smile on my face. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I always yeah. say, like, I did the free retrievals because now I'm a pro at doing all my shots. Like my husband hasn't touched a needle for me in like two years because I'm just I can do them no problem. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that to me was like, it's no problem. I'll do the shot, but this is what we're going to do. And so we did the six week ultrasound. Everything was perfect. Seven week ultrasound. Everything was perfect. 10 week ultrasound. Everything was perfect. And so it was just like such a relief because I had found the problem and we had found the solution to the problem. And now I'm like 23, 22 weeks pregnant. We're still going strong. I'm still on my daily Lovenox and I take my shot every night at seven. And I'm so happy because I know this is like the best thing for me and my baby. Mm-hmm. So we're pumped. Oh my God. I'm so happy for you. Tell me a little bit more. I want to unpack that just a little bit. What was it like when finding out that it had worked? Because it wasn't the first time, obviously, that you'd found that out, but that right. and then as things were going along and the tests were going well, how did that feel? Like, were you able to relax or is it the thing? No. No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's so interesting because I, my first pregnancy, it did not have any like morning sickness or anything like that. This pregnancy, I also have not, I've been so lucky. I've had no like morning sickness, no real symptoms because I know some women, it affects them like so strongly. But the one thing I had was like the physical anxiety, like sweaty palms, like heart palpitations, like the like if you're nervous to like go on stage and like speak or something, you know, like mm-hmm. that kind of nerves, like that anxiety. I would have mm-hmm. that before all of my ultrasounds. Like they would have to take my blood pressure after the ultrasound because it was just like too skyrocketed through the roof. They're like, this isn't, this is not what we need right now. So we'll totally. do it after. Yep, yep. yep. I also, just because of like the losses, I had gotten so many private ultrasounds in my first trimester yeah. because I was so nervous. I was like, if I was on a boat, it was like, did the waves of the boat cause something, right? If uh-huh. I stopped too hard at a stop sign, if I laughed too hard. Oh like, my God. I remember I went hiking when I was pregnant with my IVF baby, my son, and I went hiking and it was like really hot and I wasn't drinking enough water. And I was literally like, oh my God, did I like kill the baby? And I like called my doctor, like thing. bawling. I was like, I think it's, something's wrong. You know, it's because it, there's so much anxiety. So much anxiety. So the only thing that I dealt with was the physical anxiety. And then once I passed the 10 week mark, especially the first trimester mark, then it like really began to subside. And then I started probably feeling him kick for pregnant with a boy as well. So when I started Mm -hmm. feeling him kick around like 20 weeks, then it Mm -hmm. like has really alleviated because like, I feel like we have a little language going on and I know he's okay. He's just like chilling. Oh, so that to me, we're good. (laughs) So that to me has like really alleviated a lot of the stress. Yeah. Um, But those first 12 weeks, especially after loss is so difficult. 
Well, I'm so happy for you. And, you know, before we wrap it up, I would love, you've again, been really vocal about lessons you've learned going through this and things that you wish you knew then that you know now. Can you share a couple of those with us? Like, what are your most, your biggest kind of takeaways that somebody listening might, you know, need to know if they're like at the beginning of their journey? So I think the biggest takeaways for me, I'm really grateful that we kind of spread it out when we did. Like we had some time and we gave ourselves some time. It wasn't just like, we need to do this within the first year. And of course, most people, when they, you know, are heading to IVF, it's like they wanted to get pregnant yesterday. And so I'm really happy. I listened to my gut of like when I was 25 being like, maybe this is like not right. Something might be off um, because that allowed us to have that time. I'm sure if I would be starting now, I'd be like, I want to get pregnant, you know, tomorrow. And then Mm -hmm. it's a lot more stressful, but I think that just goes back to like listening to your gut and to your intuition because it's never led me wrong, Um, especially in this journey. It's always just kind of been like, this is your inner voice being like, listen to it and always Mm -hmm. follow it. And so that to me has been super helpful because Mm -hmm. I just feel like that's where, that's where all my answers were all along. It's like, just listen to your gut and it'll lead you in the right direction. So yeah, I think it's like, remember, it's important to remember that it's a journey and it's not quick. Some people, it can happen, you know, pretty quickly, but that still means months. It is not like in the next day type of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so giving your you and your partner the grace to kind of just like go through it at whatever timetable it takes, I think is really important. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Tess for sharing her story. Guys, check her out on Instagram. It's at Tess Anique is her IG handle. I also want to remind you guys that Fertility Rally memberships are open. So please come and check us out if you're looking for a safe space to land. We welcome everybody, no matter what you're going through. We have five to six support groups per week, which are included in your membership. They're all virtual, so you can be anywhere in the world. We have pregnancy groups. We have motherhood groups. We have general infertility groups. And we are adding more in the fall as well. So check us out on Instagram at Fertility Rally and on our website at the Fertility Rally. We are happy to have you. And if you have any questions about that, just reach out to me um, either on Fertility Rally's IG or at Infertile AF Stories. So last thing, if you have two seconds to go rate and review the podcast, that would be amazing. Please spread the word to anybody who might benefit from listening to these stories. You know, the goal is always to normalize the conversation and help people feel less alone. So thank you for listening. And I will talk to you guys next time.